from me this week. Don't pay it any attention. <laughs> Turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua chapter 15. Joshua chapter 15. And of all the weeks for this chapter to come up, it's this week. Uh, but we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration from God. Amen. It has a purpose for us. Uh, and uh, when you come to chapter 15, there's some hard words here in chapter 15. Difficult words. Uh, I remember uh, in school, I don't remember if it was a third grade, fourth grade, we were reading. We always read out loud. I don't know if they still do that in school today or not. But we would read out loud and we had to, we had to at least take a shot at one of these words when they came up. And we didn't know what it was. We'd take a shot at it and then we'd say, hard word. And we'd move right on. <clears throat> well, that didn't mean it was over with because we'd see the teacher take the pencil out of her hair. They used to wear it up there in her hair. And uh, she would write down, and that would remind her to come back and go over that hard word. And while we're here, uh, let me just say thank you to our teachers uh, in all of our schools, everywhere, all over, school winding down. Amen. You play a vital part, and I know the government holds things down. I, I know all of that stuff. I've gone through red tape. I know all that. But some of you are slick and sly, and you've managed to get the Word of God in there that nobody even realizes, but those children will realize it. They'll realize it. I praise God for you. But anyway, when you come to Joshua 15, you may find yourself, there's 63 verses in here that we're going to cover this morning. And uh, I, I, I'm going to start out reading, and we'll see how far it goes. You'll find yourself probably one of two or three things. Number one, uh, you're going to go to sleep while I'm reading the Scripture. Because uh, this thing's like being in a survey office. Uh, we've had the entrance to the promised land and the conquering of the promised land. And now beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15, they begin to divide the land up. And it's boring. Not exciting. Not at all. You, so you may find yourself going to sleep. Or secondly, you may find yourself laughing at the preacher for trying to pronounce some of these words. We do have this on video camera, and if you do, I want you to know that paybacks are tough. <laughs> but in the middle of all of this, God's got some good words for us. Would you stand, please, as we begin reading Joshua chapter 15? <clears throat> we'll not read all of it. Beginning in verse 1. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families. Even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin, southward was the uttermost part of the south coast. And their south border was from the shore of the salt sea, from the bay that looketh southward. And it went out to the side, south side to Malachirabim and passed along to Zin and ascended up on the south side unto Kadesh Barnea and passed along to Hezron, and went up to Adar, and fetched a compass to Karkara. From thence it passed toward Asmon, and went out unto the river of Egypt, and the goings out of that coast were at the sea. This shall be your south coast. And the east border was the salt sea, even unto the end of Jordan. 
and their border in the north quarter was from the Bay of the Sea at the uttermost part of Jordan. The border went up to Behagla and passed along by the north, Beharba, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the border went up toward Debir from the valley of Achor and so northward, looking toward Gilgal, and that it is before going up of Adilimim, which is on the south side of the river. And the border passed toward the waters of Enshemesh and the goings thereof of Enrogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom unto the south side of Jebusite. The same is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants northward. And the border was drawn from the top of the hill unto the fountain of the water of Nephtah, and went out to the uh, cities of Mount Ephraim, and the border was drawn to Bela, which is Kerjathjearim. And uh, don't you laugh now, Will. Well, all right. Uh, and the border compassed Bela westward unto the Mount Seir, and passed along unto the side mount of Jerarim, which is Chesalon on the north side, and went down to Beshemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out unto the side of Ekron northward, and the border was drawn to Shikron, passed along to Mount Bala, and went out unto Jabneel, unto the goings of the border were at the sea. And the west border was to the great sea and the coast thereof. This is the coast of the children of Judah, round about according to their families. Now, you begin in verse 13, and you wonder why in the world verse 13 is even in here. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which the city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, and Ahim, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debir before was Kerjasipher. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjasipher and taketh it, to him will I give Oxah, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Oxah, his daughter, to wife. Father, thank you this morning for your word. We are grateful and blessed, so blessed to be a part of this service. Would you let your Holy Spirit continue to just move and minister to each one of us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, when you go through the Word of God here, there's some hard words. Life throws some hard words at you. Uh, but in the midst of the hard words, if we focus totally on the hard words... Sometimes we forget about the good words that Jesus gives us in the midst of the hard words because there are hard words in life. Life throws hard words at us, hard words like cancer, like uh, uh, divorce, like racism, addiction, bitterness, hate. And if we're not careful, we focus on those hard words and we say, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. And we forget the good words that God gives us in the midst of it. So I, I want to just show you three things this morning, and it'll be short, but three things that are in this passage that's dealing with all of these borders and all of these boundary lines here. Three things this morning. Number one is this, that I gather, and they're not, they're not explicit in here. 
You're not going to find them. I'm just going to implicitly add them to you. Because of these borders, I'm reminded of this truth that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. The division of the land of Judah. Judah, you have to go back to Genesis 12. The Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of the country from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show you. Then he said in verse 5 of Genesis 12, Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their substance they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. Now, in Genesis 13, there's even more promises. Genesis 15, there's even more promises. And Abraham's got to be thinking, Now, Lord, wait a minute, I, I trust you. God, you know I love you. God, you know I've obeyed you. But how in the world am I going to have all of these inhabitants and all of these descendants? I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. She's barren. We have no kids. How in the world are you going to do that? And God said, Abraham, or Abram at that time, he said, you're going to number, your descendants are going to number more than the, than the grains of sand. And he said, let me tell you, if you want to know whether or not I'm going to keep my promises or not, I'll tell you what to do, Abraham. Go outside at night and look at all the stars because your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And Abraham is saying, I don't know how this is going to be. I don't know how you're going to be able to do that. And, and, and man, he, he's old. How are you going to? Abraham, I know. Let's fulfill it through Eleazar. Y'all are going to have to excuse me a minute here. This thing got loose. Abraham says, let's fulfill it through the maidens. Let's do it this way. That wasn't God's way. That wasn't God's way. Abram believed God, Genesis 15, 6 says, and credited to him as righteousness. That's when Abraham got saved. God credited it to him righteousness. Now, what he did is he put Abraham in a deep sleep and he made a covenant, a blood covenant with Abraham. And he literally established that covenant by the shedding of blood. Uh, in the midst of all of that, that that's going on, though, there's some hard words. There's a, a deal with Hagar in there, you've got to understand. That's a hard word. There's a war between Jacob and Esau. Those are hard words. There's a selling of Joseph to the, uh, to the Egyptian. Those are hard words. There's, there's the bones of Joseph. Literally, Israel is in bondage. Those are hard words. But they got out. Israel betrayed God. God said, you can have this land. Israel said, I don't care what God said. Ten of us say we can't do it. Two of us say we can. Let's go with the ten that says we can't. Therefore, the first Baptist church was started. <laughs> when you come here to Joshua 15, let me show you. Abraham's dead. Isaac, dead. Jacob, dead. Joseph, he's got his bones in a box they're bringing up from Egypt. But the plan of God is still marching on. It's still marching on. God always keeps his promises. 
He doesn't renege on his promises. He's doing that. If Israel ever doubted, all they needed to do was take out the deed. God wrote it down in Joshua, word for word. This is what I'm going to give you. And he gave it out word for word, word for word. There'd never be any doubt. Many times we get upset because we think maybe God's not keeping his promises to us. Could I just be honest with you this morning and tell you that God's never promised us we'd never have sickness? God has never promised us that death would not come to our door. God's not promised us that we'd never have a child that would, would not rebel and go against the things of God. God's not promised any of that. He's not promised that our children would all be spiritual giants. God's not promised we'd all be wealthy or we'd... Hallelujah. <laughs> Tie that thing on my yeah, There you go. Ouch. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. God's not promised us we're going to have wealth untold. He's not promised any of that. But he did promise that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He did promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. He did promise that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God did promise that. So God is blessing them by keeping his word. And I want to tell you, when life throws hard words at us, sometimes we begin to doubt. Maybe God is not going to do what he said he's going to do. It happened to the nation Israel. Hard words came. Israel began to murmur. They began to murmur against the man of God. They began to murmur against all of those men. They began to say, let's go back to Egypt. Would to God we had some good garlic and green onions. They had forgotten that they were in slavery over there making brick without straw. I don't know, some of you in this room I know are far more spiritual than I am. But I want to tell you, sometimes when I'm at the cemetery and I'm laying someone that's very dear to me down in the ground, it doesn't seem like he's the resurrection and the life. I have a little problem with that. When the bank is repossessing your house and the credit company's taking your car, doesn't seem like he's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. When the doctor says you may as well go ahead and call in hospice, he doesn't seem like he's the great physician during that time. When you take the divorce papers out of the mailbox down at the end of the road, he really doesn't seem like the Prince of Peace. When the nursery is empty and the womb is barren, he doesn't seem like he's the giver and sustainer of life. And there may be times, but oh, I would just encourage you to keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. There are going to be hard things that come. 
There are going to be circumstances that we can't do anything about. But the good news this morning is God always keeps his promises. They never fail. I find that here in this 15th chapter. But I also find that we can influence and should influence future generations here. That's why that verse 13 through 19 is in there. Uh, it almost seems like it's interrupted here by a story of an arranged marriage. Caleb, uh, remember, uh, he's taken that mountain from a couple of weeks ago, 85 years old. He wants that mountain that the Lord has given him. He's taken that mountain. Now there's a village up there, and he can go take it. There's no problem with that. He can take it. No problem. But somehow or another, he decides that maybe it's time to invest in the younger generation. Now, he arranges a marriage here of his daughter. Now, I'll just be honest with you. If you've got a daughter whose name is a barnyard animal, you might have to sweeten up the pot a little bit. Oxsaw <laughs> is here, and Caleb says, I tell you what, anybody who will go conquer this village, I'll give you Oxsaw in marriage. Now, with that comes a lot of inheritance, too. I mean, I don't know what she looked like. Bless God, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. I, I've never seen an ugly bride. I've seen some that come close, but I've never seen an ugly bride. So here she is, Oxsaw, and this one man stands up and says, I'll take that, I'll take that village. I'll do that. His name is Othniel. He said, I'll take that village. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, technically, he's one of two things. He is either Caleb's nephew or his half-brother. So Oxsaw is getting ready to marry her, her first cousin, or her uncle. I think probably the scripture is leading toward first cousin. But I'm, I'm not here to just prove that. In Judges 1, it follows with the death of Joshua. And I believe why the Holy Spirit inserts this here. Because in the word of the death of Joshua, Othniel, following the death of Joshua, the Bible says Israel has no leader. They do what's right in their own eyes. They worshiped false gods, and God delivered them over to the enemy. And then Othniel comes. They pray for a leader, and Othniel becomes the leader. And for 40 years, the Bible says there was peace in the land. 40 years. Wonder where he got that. How did he know how to maneuver and treat the people and lead the people to where there was peace for 40 years? I believe it comes all the way back here to old Caleb, to his father-in-law, who's invested in him, who's, who's shown him the way, who's mentored him. Here's a man that wants to do a great work for God. Basically, Caleb said, if anybody wants to stand up for God and do a great work, that's the kind of man I want my daughter to marry. Now, girls, I know y'all don't like arranged marriages and all, but some of the choices you make, you really probably ought to look into that a little bit more. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, I don't have any daughters. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I've got some granddaughters. 
And I'll tell you right now, I want them to marry men who will stand for God. I want them to marry men who say, I don't care what the world says, I'm going with what God says. And that's what Othniel did. In this church, we pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into children's ministry, preschool, youth ministry, college ministry. All of that is because, folks, we want to train leaders for the future. Listen, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to leave this church in a casket here and then find out 10 years later that the Word of God's not being preached. I don't want to leave this church and find out 10 years later that, well, this church kind of cooled off and we kind of believe you can get to heaven any way you want to. There's only one way to get to heaven. That's Jesus by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven. You who are teaching these children, you're not just any old teacher. You're the one that's investing in their lives. Those who are teaching our young people, you're investing in their future lives. College age, moms and dads, you're, you're raising up the grandparents of your great-grandkids. We've got to invest in them. We've got to show them the truth, the way, the truth, and the light. The future is ours for the conquering. One of these days, 40, 50 years from now, there'll be a little old boy jump up in his papa's lap way down the line and say, Papa, is it really true that Jesus came in the flesh? Is that really true, Papa? Did Jesus come in the flesh? Yes, he did. God always keeps his promises. We need to invest in this future generation. And the third thing, and I'm through. Take a little longer, but it's still the third. God will fulfill his plan of redemption. Now, that'd make a backslidden Episcopalian want to shout. But I'm telling you, God's got a plan of redemption, and he will fulfill it. And we see it here from this text. Uh, they've given a parcel of land. Uh, they, they, and I want to be honest with you, the Old Testament, people say, well, the Old Testament, the Old Testament's about Jesus, the Messiah. You'll find him all throughout the thing. And, and from this text, God in this chapter is, is doling out parcels of land. And, and it shows us how he ends up redeeming. There, there are three factors here. There's a prophecy. I don't know if you clicked or not. For some of you, I know it did. But Judah was not the oldest tribe. In fact, Reuben was the oldest tribe. And then there was Simeon, and then there was Levi, and then there was Judah. And yet, when the land is being parceled up, Judah was the first tribe to come. Hmm. You got to go back to the deathbed of Jacob. He gathered his sons. He prophesied for them. He, he blessed them. And then he even spoke some words of discipline. But he told them that the Messianic bloodline would not flow through Reuben or Simeon or Levi, but that Messianic bloodline would flow through Judah. Genesis 49, 8 says, One day a, a lion is coming. <laughs> From that tribe of Judah, a lion is going to come. And once he comes, literally shallow means peace. There's a prophecy. Judah 
is going to be the Messianic bloodline. But not only is there a prophecy, there's a pardon here. There's a pardon. Aren't you thankful for the pardons of God? Why does Judah get to go first? Why do they go to the head of the line? You say, well, it's because of how Reuben and Simeon and Levi lived. Well, let me tell you, uh, Judah wasn't no saint. Hmm. Judah's daughter-in-law tricked him into a sexual encounter where he fathered his own grandchild. And you know what his defense was? When they said, what's your defense? Why did you do this? I, I thought I was hiring a prostitute. Now, that'll ring the bells of glory. I thought I was hiring a prostitute. That's what he says. But Reuben, Reuben slept with his father's wife, never did, did confess it, on Jacob's deathbed. Jacob said, Reuben, I've known that all along. You never confessed it, but I've known it all along. You're out. Simeon and Levi, remember, they went after their daughter's killers, the Shema, uh, Shechem, well, let's see, I better not say that, Shechemites, Shechemites, one, one group, they wiped out the whole town, killed all of them. They were bloodthirsty murderers. So they're out. Well, you got Reuben, you got Simeon, you got Levi, you got Judah. Every one of them just about as low down as you can get. What, what would be the difference? Here's the difference. Judah, when he committed that sin, he said, uh, this daughter-in-law is more spiritual than I am. He confessed that sin before God. And God forgave him of that sin. God pardoned him. Now listen, if you're not willing to confess your sins, God's not willing to pardon you. Simeon never confessed. Levi never confessed. Reuben never confessed. But Judah confessed. And because of his confession, God pardoned him. <laughs> Man, have mercy. Can you use anybody, God can, that will repent? He had a, Judah in that lineage had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son. And then he had a son named Boaz, married Ruth. And they had Obed, and then there's Jesse, and then there's David. That lion of Judah coming out of that tribe. Royal lineage here. The root of David, the offspring of Jesse, the sovereign king who will one day sit on the throne. Rule forever. The prophecy's here. The pardon's here. <laughs> Think about the place that's involved here. In the casting of lots, it so happened that Judah's allotment included a tiny little village. A famous king was born there. Luke says uh, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their sheep by night. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The Judean hillside lit up that night with angels singing, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In all of the hard sayings, in all of the hard words, here come the angels that say, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
and this shall be a sign upon you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Some good words in the midst of some hard words. Go with me to Jerusalem, another town. Hard words are there. Words like arrested. Words like tried. Words like flogged. Words like beaten. Words like give us Barabbas. Words like away with him. We have no king but Caesar. Words like come down off that cross if you really are Christ. You claim you've saved others. Come down and save yourself. Hard words. Hard words. But in the midst of those hard words comes a good word. To tell us it is finished. In the midst of all of the heartache and all of the mock trials and all of the persecution, the perfect plan of God's redemption is finished. <laughs> it's finished. Man, he goes and he says, let those who want to come, come and drink from the water of life. Don't harbor on the hard words today. There are hard words. Divorce, miscarriage, uh, we've done all we can do, bankrupt, I don't love you anymore. All of those are hard words. But in the midst of those hard words, our Lord has said, I redeemed you. It is finished. The old song says, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. And that last verse says this. I know there's a crown that is waiting in yonder bright mansion for me. And soon with the spirits made perfect, at home with the Lord I shall be. Can you say that this morning? I mean, can you say, I'll tell you what, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the heartache I'm going through. You don't know the trials I'm going through. You don't know the persecution I'm going through. You don't know the mockery I'm going through. No, I don't. But I know if you keep your eyes on Jesus, God will keep all of his promises. I know if we'll continue to invest in the future generations, God will continue to raise up his people. There's always been a remnant. Don't you listen to these yahoos who say the church is on its way out. They at the wrong church. Church is not on its way out. We're on our way up. This world's not falling apart. This world's falling into place. This morning, I plead with you. If you've never been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've never been washed in the blood, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I plead with you today, come, take one of these by the hand. We'll counsel with you, say, preacher, I don't know what I need to do. Well, the first thing you need to know is that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. If you know that, you're on the right track. See, you don't need to be saved unless you know you can't be saved by yourself. That's the only reason you'd need to be saved. So maybe today God's speaking to you, saying, I want to redeem you today. In all of the hardness that you're going through, 
to telestai. It is finished. Maybe today God wants you to be a part of this church. I believe my, uh, I, really, I honestly believe, I, I wouldn't be here preaching if I didn't believe it. I believe the Lord can come at any time. I believe the time's getting short. And I believe in these last days, not everybody who stands in a pulpit is going to preach the Word of God. I hope you'll pray for me that I never cease to do that. Man, I, I'm, I like jokes and I like illustrations and all, but I want to tell you, this book here says when it goes out, it doesn't come back void. This is God's Word. This is what we've got to be in. Maybe you need a church home that a Sunday school life group will teach the Word of God. Teach your children the things of God. If you don't have your children in one of these Sunday school classes, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Huh? I'm, uh, well, I ought not to point fingers, I guess. Uh, surely everybody here has got their kids in Sunday school. They're learning the books of the Bible. They're learning the Word of God. They're learning the music of God. Don't take that away from them. They're not going to be able to handle this world unless, let me tell you, the hardest thing I have to deal with in my life is that story of the prodigal son. Because the Bible says he came to himself, got up out of the pig pen, and came back to his father's house. And he said, Father, I don't want to be anybody here. I just want to be one of your hired servants. He came to himself. Listen, how did he know to come to himself? Because that father had been teaching him the Word of God all through his life. I, I fear for young people today who get to be 21, 22 years old, and they don't, they don't have the Word of God that's been implanted in their life, and they come down to the end of that pig pen, and they say, life's not worth living anymore. Because they never were given what life was all about. Don't let that happen to your generation. Father, we're grateful today to be in your house this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for what you have done, for what you're doing, for what you're going to do in this future. Lord, I pray right now, folks will turn to Jesus right now. I don't care how long they've been a member of a church. I don't care how long they've been coming to church. Lord, if they don't have a personal relationship with you, may right now they fall on their face before you and be saved right now before it's everlastingly too late. God, I pray this morning for those who need a church home. God, if this is where you want them, you show them that. If it's not, God, show them where you want them to be. Lord, I pray this morning for those who just need to come and confess and say, I, I need to get at this altar before the Lord. I need to clean my act up. I need to get right before God because I want the blessings of God, not the curse of God. Let your will be done in this service is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brother Colin leads us, you come. Come on. Would you stand together? Come on right now. Oh, to Jesus. Uh -huh.